Welcome to Globally Speaking, a production by RWS. Globally Speaking is designed to educate, inform, and challenge everyone who is engaged in global communications. Our experts talk to various industry thought leaders to dig into the most critical issues impacting language and localization today. Learn more by visiting our website at www.globallyspeakingradio.com. Now, here is the host for this episode. Welcome to the podcast. I'll be your host for this episode. My name is Andrew Thomas. I've been in the localization industry for about 25 years now. I'm currently a senior uh, product marketer for RWS, and I have the great pleasure to be talking about a fascinating topic today with our guest, Evangelist. Without further ado, I'd, I'd like for him to introduce himself and give us his background, and then we'll dive right into the fascinating discussion around metaverse and cosmolocalization and what it all means. Absolutely. Thank you very much for uh, having me here today. My name is uh, Fagelis Liburidis, and I am a trans academic. I follow the tides of uh, innovation in inside and outside uh, academia. Since uh, 2011, I've been associated with uh, USC, University of Southern California, both the School of Cinematic Arts and uh, the Viterbi School of Engineering. I've been uh, teaching AR, VR, and mixed reality technologies there, but also have a visiting position at Arizona State University. But most of my time and professional work is with my company, Enosis, which offers uh, what I call innovation by design, Mm. uh, a framework for innovation that is based on design thinking, design principles, and understanding uh, context and value uh, in order to apply the technologies uh, needed. And given my uh, eclectic uh, background, I operate in many contexts from healthcare to automotive architecture. Every uh, context has to earn by this uh, translation transcription of uh, methods and know-how from one to another. And in parallel, I have a a PhD in um, whole body interaction. So a, a very good understanding of how the body is and can become uh, the interface of uh, digital technologies that uh, helps a lot into understanding the new frontiers of technology and interaction and how everything uh, comes together to to serve uh, human needs. First, I'd just like to thank you for joining the Globally Speaking podcast. Uh, happy to have you here, especially since you're talking about a very interesting and very new trendy concept and topic for the industry that I think probably a lot of our listeners are not even entirely familiar with. So if you don't mind just kicking off, please introduce the concepts of the metaverse and all of these other kind of new emerging technologies and how they impact our industry. Perfect. Thank you so much, uh, Andrew. It's a very interesting and uh, complex uh, topic, and uh, I'll do my best to uh, clarify some uh, notions and frame it in a way that the localization industry and the experts in the field uh, can embrace uh, some of these uh, concepts and uh, metabolize them and uh, let them grow in their own thought practices. Uh, as a preface, our journey uh, started last uh, September with, uh, with a AWS uh, group. And uh, we started this thought development and uh, thought leadership around how language uh, can represent worlds and vice versa. 
and what is the future of localization, how spatial computing, other technologies, the metaverse uh, can shape and uh, create new value and new practices and um, new services for the localization industry. So that evolved into a partnership with a AWS group, which we're both parties are very excited about. And we're working on developing the roadmap for the future of localization in spatial computing and what is the, the future of our reality. So one of the goals is to, to think about localization 10 years ahead, and but be very pragmatic, not o- only about the use cases at that level, but uh, what are the intermediate steps to reach there and how these will potentially develop. So there's a lot of structure behind all these uh, explorations we're doing with Elsa and the rest of the AWS uh, group. So to begin, I would like to, to frame a little bit and clarify what are the, uh, the core technologies we're talking about, how augmented reality and virtual reality and mixed reality differ, and give some introduction to the, the core technologies that inform what we call the, the metaverse. So an umbrella term to understand augmented virtual and mixed reality is extended reality. So when you hear extended reality, XR, or immersive technologies, we're talking about the, uh, the same thing. Mm-hmm. Augmented and virtual reality are, uh, in essence, use cases of uh, immersive media experiences. And the, the core notion here is the, the immersiveness. You're surrounded by your experience in a new make-believe. Augmented reality is a simple interface uh, with the world where uh, you can think about what the rumors are about these uh, augmented reality glasses that will come from Apple, from uh, Snap and other companies in the in the space. A single pair of glasses that can overlay information. So augmented reality is about overlaying information in your visual queue within the living environment. Virtual reality, you're fully occluded. You wear a device, a the big headsets. Yes. Head-worn devices, uh, to clarify from other types of uh, virtual reality. And you fully occluded it. We take over, the technology takes over of your visual and auditory cues. Sometimes you uh, engage with other senses, but everything is synthetic. You fully have an experience in the, the virtual uh, world. And then mixed reality is a very interesting uh, concept and yeah. a concept I'll try to, to separate a little bit from augmented reality. You still operate within the physical environment with augmentations, ah, but these are interactive. They understand uh, context. So it's not just the information that I see something. It's not just an overlay. It's something that you can actually interact with. Correct, correct. And you can have gotcha. holograms. And you can have all kinds of rich interactions between the, the content, the information, and the multimodal interactions of the, the user. So so just so I can give like a real world example, and you can tell me if I'm right or wrong here. So, you know, augmented reality is I'm wearing the latest Apple glasses and I look in a particular area and there is some sort of informational overlay based on what I'm looking at. Mixed reality is in addition to that informational overlay, there may be some sort of displayed user interface thing that I can actually take my hands and interact with. And that has an impact and changes the experience somehow. 
Correct, and also uh, entities, holograms, uh, things that right. that can right. have behaviors of themselves, not just. Uh, oh, right, it's not passive. Correct. I, I understand what you're saying. Yes, almost like uh, <laughs> like uh, something out of Star Wars, where you have the holographic displays of people. Perfect. So let's talk a little bit about spatial computing. Spatial computing is a term that we use in uh, computer science uh, to really uh, embrace the new infrastructure of what we call Industry 4.0, in fact, down the road, Industry 5.0. So we're talking about infrastructure technologies that supports the thesis of a three-dimensional, four-dimensional web where you are in the physical environment and the physical layer with the data layer come in one-to-one correlation. So we're talking about the infrastructures of uh, 5G, 6G, and plus, uh, digital twins, uh, Internet of Things, edge computing, and all that. These are infrastructure technologies that come together and along with the immersive media, the, which are the interfaces, the AR, VR, and mixed reality devices, headsets, and all that, constitute what we call spatial computing. So spatial computing is the core. Yeah, and again, just to so literally meaning spatial, meaning that it's the computing framework necessary because you need you're going to generate a lot more data, so you need a lot more bandwidth. You also need more sensors with the internet of things like lots of more input because you're interacting correct so Mm -hmm. all of those kind of foundational pieces put together allows computation around spatial around space like basically whether it's virtual space or real or overlaid on top of some real space right absolutely yeah, uh, across these uh, lines where we're talking about digital twins, it's about creating a digital replica of a physical mm. object that can be as big as a building or as small as a, uh, I don't know, a screwdriver. Well, yeah, even now I go on most uh, most major shopping apps allow you to virtually display like a, a piece of furniture in your room mm-hmm. to see what how much room it takes up in the room, Right. That's a great example of, I guess that would be augmented reality in that situation. Absolutely. And uh, recently we have the notion of the metaverse, which is, um, <laughs> yes. let's call it a marketing term. Uh, it's more the popularized term for all of the above that we discussed. You know, the core technology, if we start uh, talking about spatial computing and about all these uh, technical terms, uh, it will be hard for the public to embrace. You know, under a, a, a popular term of uh, the metaverse, as it was introduced, and uh, everything becomes a little bit more tangible in a way, at, yep. at least in terms of the terminology, but creates a lot of confusion about what we're talking about. Well, I can remember, even as a kid, I read Snow Crash when it came out, and clearly mm-hmm. that was the the first place where the term was invented, and he was painting that picture, the author was painting that picture, which clearly is not how things are necessarily going to develop, but it's, it's interesting (laughs) that that was, I don't know how many years ago, decades, right? So it's, it's fun to see that we're at least bumping up against the beginning of what was written about back then. And science fiction has now become science reality. (laughs) Um, In a way. In a way, (laughs) right. But yeah. We're moving in that direction. It's not going to be that we're going to go there necessarily. There's not one notion of the future. Mm. Future is plural. It's futures. That's why you cannot predict it. That's why we engage in all these exercises uh, in foresight and world building to see what is plausible, how to get there. 
But the important thing is that you cannot stop technological advancement. And within that, people find use cases based on real value. Mm. So whatever it doesn't reflect real value won't get adopted. I, that, I think that's a really great point. I, right? I want to hone in on that just a little bit because that's the biggest shift that I see currently in how people are talking about it because I'm a personal gamer. I have a gaming background. I got into the local industry through doing localization of video games many, many, many years ago. So this was something that's always been kicking around virtual reality, augmented reality. And it's gone through several waves of attempts and people adopting certain things. But it strikes me that this current wave feels more commercially driven and feels like it's more focused on bringing true value to existing for a reason rather than just because it's cool. And I'd love for you to dig into that a little bit more about maybe, you know, what are some good real value use cases that you see either already emerging or soon to emerge? Absolutely. I'll be happy to do that. Uh, for the moment, let's separate commercial for enterprise uses from consumer uses. Sure. Absolutely. Uh, consumer will come later and with a question mark at the moment. But in enterprise, what we, we're talking about, first and foremost, we're talking about training, extremely high value in training because there is a lot of dematerialization of the training, scalability, the way you form memories in virtual re reality and mixed reality in particular are embodied, therefore, um, uh, the gesture, the, um, the special coordination, what the task is all about, you can simulate in a very, uh, in a great degree. And then from there, repeat it as many times to receive the, the embodied learning. And as part of that, the simulation and data visualization offers tremendous opportunities for reaching a level where you can simulate very complex operations and see how they respond into all kinds of uh, cues before you even build anything. Enhance communication. Mm. And we see these uh, technologies already adopted with no way that the industry will roll back to the, uh, to the previous state of the art in industries like the, the automotive, for example. Uh, where to design a, a car and really go to the uh, specifics of uh, feel and look, and uh, especially for the interior and all that, will take endless amounts of time, effort, material, and now it's all dematerialized. In real time, a designer can uh, develop something and an executive can evaluate it and you know give feedback. And this uh, loop can be as efficient as real time, and connect with other parts of the, the industry where the prototype is being developed on the fly and all kinds of, uh, of things. Uh, similarly, in, in architecture, an, an architect can de uh, design, a client can really walk inside the virtual environment and give feedback. Mm. And this feedback loop, again, it's in real time and all that. Civil engineering, we are uh, seeing evidence of companies adopting augmented reality. So on the, uh, the construction side, you can visualize and pre-see different layers of information of how the building is going to be built. And again, these feedback loops over creating uh, suggestions and uh, corrections over CADs and all that is something that 
uh, we see a lot of traction. I think somebody might be asking, like, you know, why is that an improvement or why is it better? And I think mm-hmm. the one thing I want to point out to folks is our brains are designed already to think spatially, right? We evolved as people that process information spatially. And so to your point, seeing a blueprint on a piece of paper of what this building is going to look like versus being able to walk inside the building and turn your head around the way that you would when you're inside the building and seeing how the light's going to fall when it's in the middle of the day versus at the morning or the end of the day. And you can actually see exactly what it's going to be like. That gives you a much more immediate experience and drives people to make decisions quicker and more effectively and hopefully avoid going down uh, a bad design direction and then winding up with a complete prototype and then realizing after the fact, like, oh, we need to rethink everything that we did because we didn't think about this real world scenario, right? Absolutely. These devices are, are not and should not be seen just as visual displays. Right. They're far richer. They have a lot of sensors on, on them. So I'll give you an excellent uh, example. There, there was this uh, company here in the United States uh, that were making staircases, like interior staircases. And they adopted the, the HoloLens as R&D and soon realized that uh, the personnel can walk into a house, uh, use a HoloLens to accurately create a 3D model of the staircase with absolute dimensions and write on the, the fly overlay different solutions to the client and on approval uh, at the back end, the manufacturing facility will start cutting and in uh, creating the uh, the materials and the schematics and all that to build the, this particular staircase it's an excellent combination of what we're talking about in terms of the new economy and the the new ecology of industry 4.0 because you're using the on board the, the sensors on board to measure to calculate to create digital twins to and then also display uh, so it's display. like you're, you're getting a more you're getting a more efficient supply chain in that scenario correct because you're you know you're building you're building on demand to the exact specifications because the requester now has the tools to be able to give you that information immediately versus in the old days, you'd have to have somebody come in and do all the measurements for you. It, yeah, the, the immediacy of it is really impressive and kind of amazing. Yeah. And it has a, a term that we've been using for a while, experience economy. Mm. You know, how, how, how the experience economy uh, could be manifested outside these technologies. Really hard problem to to tackle. But if you have experiential technologies and immersive technologies, suddenly experience economy, uh, science, and the transition is uh, far more plausible because we know how this uh, could potentially uh, manifest itself. A brilliant example is what Nike has been doing uh, with the manufacturing uh, pipeline, where you can customize your sneaker and the the manufacturing facility will produce this personalized sneaker. Mm. So when you go into the metaverse in order to customize it, the, the fun and play of customization actually translates in a whole production pipeline that is already developed and defined to do this personalization. It's like uh, mass-produced customization, which is, you know, Correct. in the past, mm-hmm. 
those two things have always been in conflict. You can do mass production or you can do really or... customized. <laughs> and, and now you get both. And that's really amazing. And the interface around it and the spatial computing coordination between that. and Yeah. it's I mean, it's mind boggling. And I think, so I think we've set the scene to what we're really talking about, even though I'd love to even go down the path of, we talked about kind of a lot of the, uh, the beginning of that supply chain and, and ideation and creation of materials. But I think there's a, there's lots of avenues down, as you mentioned earlier, the training and learning aspects of how to use a brand new product. Or if you are in the service and repair industry, being able to service an automobile or an airplane and do that in a guided way that's using, taking advantage of spatial computing and augmented reality and all those things. You know, there's lots of interesting use cases here uh, that we could, I'm sure, talk about all day long. For the focus of this podcast, now I'd like to turn it back to localization and ask you like, okay, so what, how does this now impact our industry and localization in general and how we approach this new world? So what that means for content and content localization? Uh, first of all, it's an expansion of uh, content and content classification. Mm. Uh, that includes now 3D models, textures, materials, animations, rotations and orientations. What are the, the spatial characteristics of content. So suddenly there's an expansion in the categories, right? To include all these new uh, content categories. The digital twins and all these uh, rich interactions with uh, content that constitute your experience within this continuum of realities is very context specific and you require situational awareness that becomes key. So in contrast with uh, any other uh, technologies, spatial computing is experiential. And this experience is um, driven by words and language. And it's very important to note here that all the speculative work that we've done in the past uh, three months is actually coming out from companies like uh, Facebook uh, in a much faster pace than anticipated. Mm. Uh, last week, and only uh, Meta announced that uh, they plan to build an AI-powered universal speech translator. Mm. Why are they doing it? Uh, and what that means for the existing uh, ecosystem. What they're, they're interested in is uh, social presence and right. how uh, social interactions are getting into the metaverse and all that, and they build a, a layer for automatic translation. Uh, as part of that, they also uh, announced an AI-driven engine that will create, uh, build virtual worlds based on uh, voice description. Oh, wow. So you have natural language processing, you uh, segment it, you semantically analyze it, and uh, there's a, a video with uh, uh, Mr. Zuckerberg, you know, using language to, re to create the world he would like to be in. It's a demo. But these illustrations are exactly what we have been exploring uh, and now they get accelerated. So it's very interesting to see where uh, all will go, but this early validation didn't come exactly as a surprise. The surprise was how fast this prediction that Meta and other companies in the metaverse will jump into localization and uh, automatic translation and all of this context uh, uh, awareness. Well, what about some of the cultural nuances that factor in when you are in a 
spatial scenario, you're not just translating words on a page. You're not even just translating or localizing an image or a video. You're literally localizing a, as you say, an experience of some sort, whether it's AR, VR, XR, whatever. Um, and I would imagine that there are some significant cultural differences when you go from country to country and culture to culture, where not every experience, even if you translate all of the words, is actually going to deliver an appropriate experience for that particular culture, right? So do you already have a sense of some of the non-word related issues that companies in the localization industry are going to face when they tackle translating, say, the business content of a virtual store in Meta's Meta world, for example? You're spot on, absolutely. The way we're thinking about that is about transcreating an experience. I was thinking transcreation. It's very similar to that, isn't it? Absolutely. So the transcreation of worlds uh, within context, meaning making, is richer than language itself. And when we're talking about real-life experience and when we're talking about uh, the interactions uh, within uh, the, the real life, uh, the environment is taken in, into account. And then you have uh, gestures and you have all kinds of uh, multimodal interactions that emerge in there that have cultural significance, as you, you said. So from the, the space to the um, communication cues to all kinds of uh, situational and context awareness, the presentational space of the, the semantic analysis becoming really broad. And that's where orchestration, based on all the experience of the localization industry, is where uh, uh, the value is. This is the value that we can bring, you say. As uh, you can bring, okay. absolutely. Like I, I, absolutely. immediately, I'm already thinking, you know, like site order. You know, if you're Western language, Latin-based language, left to right, top to bottom. You know, that's literally where your <laughs> eyes are going to go when you're trying to find information or process information and the direction that they're going to go, which would be different for, you know, Arabic or, you know, any other languages that don't follow the same site pattern, right? So that that would be something that I know it's a kind of a simplistic example, but it's the kind of thing that I would imagine we would, as an industry, bring to the table to help companies think about, yeah? Yeah, absolutely. And as we said, despite the, the natural spoken language, uh, gestures, uh, uh, eye tracking, uh, expressivity, even biomarkers become relevant and of high importance. Because if um, uh, in the context of the, the future, close or far, uh, your iWatch, your ring, or your heart rate monitor, or whatever, mm. uh, is an input, a data input, in your in your physiology, and we can harvest that. So within uh, interpersonal communications, this is a factor. And already, I'm measuring biomarkers. If we want to extend it just a little bit further, because all of these uh, augmented reality, uh, mixed reality, and virtual reality headsets are going to have embedded biosensors. Wow! Uh, starting for from eye tracking. And going all the way to heart rate and heart so rate they can monitor. literally basically gauge like 
they can easily gauge excitement, whether it's because they're getting angry or because they're getting happy or, you know, something like that. They can say, this person's heart rate has started to elevate. They're having a conversation in the meta world with somebody else. Is it because they're happy and excited or is it because they're angry and frustrated? And then you could maybe use, you know, sentiment analysis and what they're saying. And yeah, no, it's, it's fascinating. It's definitely Interesting. Mm -hmm. And we've seen we've seen a, a great examples. Uh, Hewlett Packard, uh, for example, uh, created a, a headset um, that has a lot of uh, embedded uh, biosensors, and the model they were going after was cognitive load. So, and uh, within the eye tracking, they had also a system to measure pupil dilation. Also, this aesthetic uh, movement of your eyes. And suddenly these nuances, these biometric nuances become indicators of your cognitive load. And cognitive load is uh, very uh, important in assessing, you know, the interactions of the users and all that. So within the future context of localization, what we also call uh, cosmolocalization, it's uh, very important to, to see that the omnidirectional pointers between all these modalities. So the, the environment is one, the, the biometrics, the, who are the agents? We might have autonomous agents, AI agents, human agents, robot agents. Uh, this is the promise of uh, Industry 4.0, not very far away, in the next five to 10 years. Uh, we already have all the, the um, underlying technologies. Uh, what the metaverse um, promises of a singular layer where everything can be visualized might take longer right. because it, we're talking about visualization. But in terms of data integration and how the, the analytics and the context awareness and all that is going to be manifested is already manifesting. It might be scary to some people to think that you know your your biometrics are now becoming potentially becoming data for companies to measure your level of engagement, you know, like, as you're saying, if you're looking at people dilation, are they literally zoning out and they're not really paying attention versus no, they're, they're really cued into whatever it is that we're doing here. And they're sitting on the edge of their seats, listening to every word. And that's the sort of thing that like, if I was in a live auditorium, giving a speech, I could have a sense of that when I'm talking face-to-face -face with people and kind of getting reading their energy and their body language. But if I just go to a website and watch a video, there's no way for a company to kind of measure that. And it sounds like what you're suggesting is whether or not we would be able to report and visualize that data, we'll be, we're able to gather that data in the very near future. For folks that might be a little concerned about that, do you have any thoughts on the <laughs> built-in privacy and security concerns and how they address how, how, companies are going to address that? Or are there, is there any talk of that already that you're aware of? There are many. Uh, what is important to understand is without regulation, there's no adoption. Mm. We need regulation. We need standardization. We need the, uh, the framework for enterprise uh, to adopt these as services. And of course, uh, we need a, an ethical construct, an ethical uh, framework. So more and more, we see a return to, to ethics uh, and ethics by design and understanding how ethics and the, the ethical framework is not an afterthought, but an initial uh, thesis. Has to be built so, in from the beginning is what you're saying. Absolutely. 
and uh, it's down to the the services uh, also because if um, uh, the, fr- the ethical framework and the regulatory framework is how to uh, fuel collaboration and enhance productivity, offer more experiential learning, and uh, drive the design of value of future value across cal- intercultural experiences, then we have a, a solid framework to to build uh, the security layers and the uh, the layers of uh, privacy. But if we don't limit what is possible, and uh, then we cannot define also what is uh, uh, possible, then we cannot uh, frame how this uh, should be designed and implemented. Mm. I do want to also circle back to a term you mentioned a little while ago, because I think it's a relatively new term. Uh, you mentioned cosmolocalization um, mm-hmm. as, I guess, the kind of the way that trans creation was kind of an invented term for our industry and in thinking about doing more than just translating, but trans creating typically marketing materials, but obviously it could be any kind of content. Um, can you just define for us what is Cosmo localization and how it maybe came to be as a term and how you think about it? Absolutely. It's more about thinking of multi multimodal localization that meets a universality, the cosmos. Uh, this multimodal localization we touched upon is the idea that uh, the a- agents and the agency of the world is in direct uh, transla- translation that is constant and feeding through all this uh, extensive uh, model of uh, meaning making. And then the localization is about the the cultural appropriation, the, uh, taking account cultural context and the, the context and uh, do this uh, uh, transcreation of uh, of reality. It's a term to inspire. It's a term to define. It's an open term for uh, future input until it gets established. It means specific things uh, and uh, more specific things and services. Uh, but for now, uh, it's a uh, it's an excellent term to drive us further and in um, frame. Uh, what this is all about. So in your mind, Cosmo localization would be the appropriate service name, if you will, for localizing metaversal experiences. Yes? I think so. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. We love our terminology in the local industry. Um, <laughs> and so it makes sense that we would have a term coined for this unique approach because it does seem like from, I mean, this is just from my layman's perspective and, you know, tell me if I'm wrong, but to me, from a localization industry point of view, this feels more evolutionary than revolutionary in that it's combining a lot of the services that we already do today, but doing it all together, whereas today we might do them piecemeal, right? Because we already localize videos to various degrees. We obviously translate text we do live interpretation. We have machine translation for, you know, user-generated content and lots of different use cases. We have a lot of these individual services today, uh, but they typically don't all get rolled up into a single project. Like I said, this is why I go back to video games because video games is the one area where a lot of these things do get rolled into a singular project. But outside of that industry, a lot of times they're they're different, right? You know, marketing department or a training department creating videos and you've got tech docs creating lots of words and, you know, there's different groups doing different, creating different kinds of content. 
and they do kind of all come together for a customer experience, but they're all individual touch points. Whereas what you're describing is really all of that content coming together into a single experience where it's all coming together, right? So am I am I correct in that or, or did I miss something? Absolutely. And that's, I think, is a big uh, opportunity for the community and also the uh, AWS uh, group. And what you're offering is the expansion of capabilities and how the backend orchestration can enable uh, this fusion on the fly and drive this unification that can, you know, create the relevance, the, the importance of relevance uh, in order to see adoption of these uh, services and, and what we were talking about. Yeah. So while this is going to be, I think, revolutionary for businesses and for consumers at some point down the road, I think for us, as you say, it's it's really more of an opportunity to combine a lot of things that we already do well today. So just taking a step back and thinking about the industry, where do you think translators should be focusing the next several years? What skills they should be working on? What should language service providers be thinking about and making investments in? Where, what what areas of, you know, just if you don't mind, just think about the localization industry as a whole and briefly give some advice to anybody listening as if they were going to take advantage of this changing world, where should they be making their investments? Where should they be spending their time? Um, on getting clarity, on uh, building elegant mind maps mm. of uh, where everything is and what it means. Uh, it's a semantic orchestration of understanding how uh, the space where an experience, a, a virtual or synthetic uh, or augmenting happens and what it means in terms of the agent-to-agent -agent interaction, agent-to-space um, uh, interaction, and how important context is. Other than that, there are technical uh, things to be addressed, and but ev every analysis of that level can be done by anyone that starts thinking about the the physical experience. That's the the beauty of it all. That uh, these new technologies are closer to the uh, human, uh, the physical human experience. Mm. So uh, it's easier to translate your human to space experience and what does it mean or your interpersonal experiences within context from your first person standpoint, fuel it through your prof your professional know-how and voila, you have the, the emergence of what is important and how to get there versus other uh, industries that, you know, might have uh, bigger uh, problems in this transition. Right. That makes sense. Uh, is there anything important about Cosmo localization that I ha we haven't discussed yet? Any other points that you'd like to make? I think the last point has to do with uh, modularity in the uh, poly polyformic, uh, uh, polymorphic nature of uh, Cosmo localization. Everything is reusable. Mm. The initial perception is of uh, uh, something as being so lucid that you cannot embrace. But after a while, you understand that uh, you can turn this into your advantage by building systems that constantly recycle material. Uh, so this uh, uh, polymorphy and the, um, the core values 
of uh, a system that needs to be that needs to be in, in place uh, in order to be scalable, uh, that is based on, on modularity uh, and reusability in this polymorphic nature. I think it's uh, it's crucial into in getting this right. Uh, so I, I want to dive into that a bit more with an example, if you don't mind, because obviously you know we've been localization has been focused on reuse forever since the introduction of terminology and mm-hmm. translation memory, right? And clearly now we have a lot of reuse through trained machine translation models. Um, you know, there's a lot of focus in this industry, particularly in the technology that supports the industry on reuse of translation reuse. Um, but when you talk about modularity and reuse, do you have some specific examples that you can give us? Absolutely. Starting from the, the space, for example, and uh, how uh, the, the notion of the space can uh, inform context and vice versa. Spaces can be classified, walls can be textured, and then by changing the, the dimensions, you are in a small or a big place. You are in a place surrounded by glass or metal. You know, but these things should be the primal elements of defining the space where the experience mm-hmm. uh, takes place. Uh, when you uh, go from pay, uh, from uh, space to uh, gesture, for example, uh, gesture recognition or n- n- natural language uh, processing, well, this and that, these are elements that uh, have cultural appropriation. And then uh, all these analysis and feedback loop between meaning and meaning making is something that can be constantly um, reused and reproduced and fine-tuned. Clearly metadata becomes even more important (laughs) in this scenario, but I would think this means that, you know, terminology even becomes more important than, than a lot of other uh, linguistic tools at our disposal. Yeah. You're absolutely correct. Because you, you basically what you're describing is essentially tagging the spatial state with a term that can be dynamically changed as the space itself changes. Yeah, correct. Or oh, the experience changes. The experience changes. Yeah. So as you say, as you go from glass to metal, the terminology describing your environment automatically changes. You're not having to, you know, translate the. Yeah translate that from from scratch right it's just because it knows physically the state has changed therefore the terminology and how we describe the space changes absolutely and within that i think the a, a, a meta frontier of uh, of that layer will be to translate uh, intent you know what is the intent uh, and uh, that can give us also a model of um, understanding intent in the, the physical world, uh, because in in the synthetic you can capture it. So if you capture it and you model it, then you can translate also in the in the physical. But in the physical world, it's very difficult to capture and monitor. And and in the physical, you're limited to where it's physically located. And when it's in digital, you can you can be anywhere in the world and experience that content the same way as anybody else in the world, which is the, the great advantage of digital. But this, so this is like, it's combining the best of both worlds. You get the best of the spatial awareness that we have as human beings, as we live in a physical world combined with 
all of the advantages of digital being anywhere, everywhere, all the time. So yeah, it makes total sense. Mm -hmm. uh, thanks everybody for listening today. I hope you enjoyed this as much as I did. It's a fascinating topic that I could speak to. Uh, Vangelis ad nauseum, I'm sure we could probably talk about this for much, much longer. Um, but uh, thank you very much for sharing your words of wisdom with us. And uh, to all the listeners, thanks for listening. And we'll see you in the next episode. Thank you for listening to Globally Speaking, an RWS production. You can subscribe to Globally Speaking on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, or Podbean. Check out other episodes on globallyspeakingradio.com, where you can also find transcripts from every show. We'd like to hear your comments, suggestions, and feedback, so don't hesitate to reach out to us by contacting us at info at globallyspeakingradio.com. At